Hello and welcome to Kingsbridge Health Style, the health and wellbeing podcast from the Kingsbridge Healthcare Group. My name is Avril Keyes, your host, and I will be putting real patient questions to our consultant specialists from across the group. From diagnostics through to treatment, we will give you the lowdown of what to look out for and when and how you should make an appointment. Thank you to everyone who has sent through their questions. If you do have a question or would like to find out more about any of our services, contact details will be listed within the information box below. So let's get started and I hope you enjoy listening. Our guest today is Dr. Roger Brown. You're very welcome, Roger, to the podcast. Um, you are one of the private GPs at Kingsbridge Private Clinic. Um, could you tell me a little bit about your day-to-day -day job, what it looks like? I actually work in the Kingsbridge um, private clinic in Ballykelly in the northwest oh. uh, and I work there full time as a GP. Uh, I see what normal GPs see in a day. Um, I have anything and everything coming through the door. Um, what surprised me in many ways was just how similar it was to my job that I had done in the NHS for many, many years. Um, so it's not really any different. The type of things I see in the private clinic are exactly the same as what I saw in the NHS. NHS. And you have been a doctor for a number of years. What's your background? I studied at Queen's and uh, I spent the first three or four years of my post-grad training um, aiming towards general practice uh, in the Ulster Hospital. Uh, and then I had to go to Scotland to get my GP training because it was very difficult to get here at that time in Northern Ireland. Um, subsequently spent 22 years in Scotland uh, as a GP, uh, but came back nine years ago to uh, Northern Ireland for lots of different reasons, but um, I think it was a, certainly a good thing for me and my work-life balance and, and family mm -hmm. life. Uh, but I've certainly enjoyed being back in Northern Ireland amongst my kith and kin. Started back in Northern Ireland with Kingsbridge, uh, up in Belfast, and then I went back to the NHS for five or six years, uh, mm -hmm. but I'm now working full-time in Ballykelly uh, at their new um, setup there in, in, in the Northwest. The yeah. So at Kingsbridge, they have GPs both here in Belfast, but also in the Northwest, which absolutely, is yep. great, saves, uh, saves people the drive. Absolutely, mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to cover the province mm -hmm. a bit better. Um, there's now two people, I think, pretty much full-time all day, every day in, in Belfast, and uh, I'm there full-time up in, in Ballykelly. So. And I find it interesting you say that you're seeing the same stuff. I suppose I would have thought that it would be a different kind of appointment, but um, so is it waiting lists and, and maybe uh, inability to access GP services on the NHS that's bringing people to you more and more? Yeah, there, there's several reasons why I see people uh, in the private clinic. The first most common reason is because people just can't get an appointment. And I do understand that. I've been that guy in the NHS until relatively recently. So I know how difficult it has been uh, with the pandemic and so on. Uh, but even before that, there were problems with waiting lists to see GPs. So I, that was, that's the first reason I see people is because they just can't get an appointment quickly with their doctor. And sometimes it's for something that they're, they're clearly worried about. Another, time, another, another reason people come to see me is because they feel that they need a little more time uh, and they know that I would have a little more time in the private clinic than, than I would in an NHS appointment, which is very time constrained. Um, and 
often people have several problems uh, and they really feel that they can't bring more than one and some GPs actually will limit people to one complaint so they would come to me with several things and we try and spend the time to tease these things out and try and get to the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. So how would it differ then to an appointment that you might have with your NHS GP? It's longer I presume? It's longer. Uh, yeah. Everybody who comes to see me has a half hour appointment. Uh, now that may involve a history taking process obviously, um, clinical examination, maybe some blood tests, maybe x-rays, uh, all of that can be done in-house on the spot at the time okay. and, and you can leave often with lots of information and, and knowledge about what the problem was. We might have to wait for the blood results to come back for example mm -hmm. or a urine test to come back but generally speaking we can try and, and get somebody sorted out in-house on the spot uh, on yeah. the day and that's that's the aim so that's another thing that's good about coming to see me in a private hospital setting rather than going to the GP surgery because I have access to everything on site uh, which yes. which is really so helpful. It's a one-stop shop. One -stop shop. Yeah. And do you have access though to my NHS records you know how much of a backstory do I have to to come to well, you with? If you'd asked me this question when I worked in Kingsbridge before moving back to the NHS, um, I would have said, no, we don't have access to that, but now we do. And I'm really pleased that that is something that we've managed to get access to. Um, <clears throat> every patient's record in Northern Ireland is on a, a, a thing called an NIECR. Um, and this, this care record follows a patient from whatever setting uh, that they see a doctor to another setting. So in other words, your GP records which will include all your drugs history, your past history, your allergies, um, and any other significant events. All the x-rays, scans, everything's on this. Fantastic. That, that then can be accessed by a hospital consultant if you happen to be admitted to a hospital ward, or an A&E consultant or junior doctor if mm. you attend A&E, but now we can access that in the private sector as well. That's great, so it, it cuts out a lot of that, because you talked about taking history, but you wouldn't have to go back so far to explain everything. It, it's really important though that we, we make sure that the patient gives us authority to open their access, uh, and to access this record, because it is a confidential document. So we do always ask, you know, can I just open this NHS record? Mm -hmm. And uh, nobody has refused me so far because it's clearly in their interest to of do course, so. Of course, of course. And in terms of, um, you know, I suppose what kind of situations or cases do you feel it's really beneficial to go and get that private appointment? What kinds of things people might be going through? And I that's, guess they're kind a, of like red flags as well. Yeah, there are red flag things um, and uh, but I would say the things that probably patients would value most about coming to me is where they have been struggling to be heard because they don't have time to tell their story in a mm -hmm. 10 minute slot um, or it's a complex story and they have, they have tried five or six times with different GPs and they really want somebody to just pause for a moment take stock of the whole story, try and tease it out with them and, and get to the bottom of it and, mm. and see what the root cause is. And, and I have to say, I find that a lot of patients that, that would come in, in that situation do end up 
satisfied because they have had a chance to properly air the problem um, and they feel that somebody has actually listened to what the, they're telling uh, the, the doctor and and hopefully getting the answer. Now, it, it sometimes some of these problems are just very, very difficult. But I would say that in, in a lot of cases, certainly we've been able to get to the bottom of it just by taking a little bit more time and, yes. and teasing it out together. Yes, and having access presumably as well to a wide range of specialties within a Absolutely. small team. Absolutely. That, we, we ha I mean, I have access to many, many consultants in all the different specialties. Mm -hmm. Uh, so if I need a specialist opinion, I can bring somebody in. Uh, yes. So that, that also is very, very helpful. Basically, I, I feel that in the situation I'm in now, I'm, I'm ideally placed to get the job done. Mm -hmm. You know, I have time, I have resources, I have access to various different uh, tests or consultants. I get the job done because we've got all that's necessary to, to get the job done on site, yes. whether it's up in Belfast here or, or up in the northwest in Ballykelly where mm -hmm. I'm working at the minute. And you have obviously all your years of experience as well, so you've sort of seen everything there is to see. Well, certainly I've seen a lot yeah. uh, in over 30 years and uh, I've, I've seen a lot of changes. Sadly, not a lot of them are f for the best in terms of the way the NHS functions, functions but I have to say a lot of the progresses or progress that has happened and, and the progressions that have mm -hmm. happened within the NHS and in cancer care and other things have been quite significant. Yes and what has been your experience I suppose moving from so you went from NHS to private back, back to, to NHS, NHS and back to private? Um, it's It's been an interesting um, phase I suppose of my life now to go back into the private sector. Mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoyed being able to deliver the goods. I enjoyed that aspect of my work in Belfast, um, and it, it truly it was it was purely geography that was the reason I moved back to the NHS to to work nearer home. Um, but thankfully, I, I work I live near to where I work now in Ballykelly, yes. and that, that that's worked out well. But it has been um, I've learned a lot from moving back and forward between the two mm -hmm. sectors, the private sector and the NHS. But I am still. Uh, obviously NHS trained and um, very loyal to the NHS as, a, as, a, as an entity and, and I certainly would view myself not as somebody to threaten the NHS but somebody to complement the NHS, someone who could maybe take some of the pressure off the NHS just by being able to see some people that maybe the NHS are struggling to see. Um, yes. So, so every, every person that I see, it's one less that my GP colleagues and uh, who are under pressure, are, are, that's are one less that they're to going see. to have to yeah. see. And on a practical level, if you, um, if you prescribed a drug to me, what way does that prescription work? That's a, that's a question that's come in. Well, that's a good question and it's a question that lots of patients have asked me. But essentially, if you come to see me in the private sector, you get a private prescription and that means you have to buy the drug at the, the pharmacy. But that's how it is uh, in the Republic of Ireland and has been for a long time and it's the case in most other countries. But if you come to see me, you get a private prescription, you have mm -hmm. to pay for the drug. understand. Very good. And then would my GP know that I had been to you? You know, do you let the, doc, the, the my own NHS GP know that I have? That, that's visited? a really good question, and the answer is, uh, if it's something significant that you've come about, uh, and we have found something 
wrong, then absolutely I, I will write to the GP in question and inform them that this patient has been to see me and that we found this particular problem. Uh, if we've made a change to medication, I would always write to the doctor and say, look, I've, I've found this and I've suggested reducing that dose and adding in this medication yeah. so that there is a communication between us. Uh, but truthfully, that's not happened all that often. It's not necessary all that often. What I hope will happen in the near future is that we as a private um, service will be able to populate the NIECR and add in drugs and findings, um, scan results and so on. There is a way um, with another um, website that is shared uh, for scans and x-rays and, and so on that, that consultants and, and myself can look at um, results and, and GPs can look at results as well. But that's, that's a different setup altogether. It's called the, the Northern Ireland PAX system. But for normal stuff, I would love to be able to populate um, yeah. you know, the, the, the NIECR. And that, that's something that hopefully will come in time. Yeah, and it makes sense, I guess, so that everybody knows the whole story and it can complement each other, mm -hmm. like you say, can complement the, the regular GP. Um, I suppose there's, uh, I, I mentioned red flags, and I guess uh, just from a GP perspective, what are the things that if people experience at home, they really should be making an appointment? Very quickly. My word. Well, that's that's a, a whole talk in itself, probably. But um, if if something has changed, and and you've got a bad feeling about it, okay. I, I think that's something that you should bring to your doctor's attention. And if you can't get to see your NHS doctor, by all means, you can see one of us in the private sector. If you've unexplained weight loss, or you've unexplained bleeding, or you've you know, you've lost your appetite or your energy, any of these things, or, or you find a lump or a skin thing that has changed. And any of these things, you know, there, there's just so many, it's, it's hard to pick yes. out one or two or three, but, but if you think that there's something different that, that, that's not you, then yes. I think, you know, um, most people get a gut feeling about things. I was they, just gonna say, cause the other doctors have said that, you know, you just get a gut feeling that something's not right, mm -hmm. then trust that instinct and, and deal with it. And we're gonna test your knowledge now with a few questions <laughs> from people. So um, we've had vertigo, the best treatment for vertigo, dizziness and nausea. And I know that's it can be a tricky one to, to treat. Yeah, well, I wouldn't uh, propose that I'm a, an expert in vertigo, but certainly it's something that I've seen a lot of as a GP. Um, vertigo has different causes. This dizzy head, there's there's two things actually. There's a lightheadedness on one hand and there's a spinning dizzy head on the other hand. Now, lightheadedness is probably something that's to do with low blood pressure or medication that you're on that's not agreeing with you or something like that. Um, dizziness is really what I would suggest is mm -hmm. what vertigo properly is um, and, and that again is a, that's a whole talk in itself but it, it can be caused by viral things um, mm -hmm. you know various different viruses viruses similar to the, the common cold virus actually can attack the inner ear and make you dizzy um, there's a couple of other reasons um, the most common is this thing called benign positional postural vertigo or BPPV um, and that, that's a thing where there is a, a difficulty with the movement of the fluid within the, the, the 
little canals in your inner ear. Mm -hmm. um, it can be caused by various things. Sometimes it's a little bit of grit that can, or sediment that forms in the canals. Sometimes it can be because the, the little uh, nerve endings that are like little um, hairs that move like seaweed in the, on the bottom of the, the sea as this, the waves go in and out. These hairs and these nerve endings detect movement and sometimes this can be exaggerated. So a little bit of movement makes you think like you're going on a roller coaster around a corner or in a big oh, dipper. Yes. Um, so the littlest movement can be very, very exaggerated. So there are various different causes for it and there are various different treatments. But um, I think if you have got a situation where you're dizzy, particularly if, if lying down on one side makes you dizzy and you maybe feel like the bed that you're lying on is moving as well or you're falling in space, mm -hmm. that's significant. And, and I think mm -hmm. that's something that you maybe should bring to somebody's attention. Um, treatments are, there are medical treatments that, that are drug treatments, mm -hmm. um, various different medications. I could list probably seven or eight that were, are commonly used. And if one doesn't work, sometimes another one does. Yeah. But there's also um, there's a manoeuvre that uh, is used to test if this is a truly labyrinthine problem um, and it's this Hall-Pikes manoeuvre um, to, to show if you have this inner ear problem where your eyes start to go like this whenever we move you a certain way. And then following that, an Epley manoeuvre, which uh, someone who is trained to do this can do to, to try and uh, correct the problem move the sediment if you like try and clear the, the, the canals and and make the um, the dizziness go away essentially it's not a pleasant thing to have done to you but it it, it is something that um, it does work very very well so yeah. if, if you can bear with the doctor or the physios do this as well you can bear with the physio with the doctor it certainly mm -hmm. can pay off so there is uh, another thing I want to say about dizziness though that is important and that is that it can be a sign of something more sinister. It's not usually, but it is on the list, you know, down towards the bottom of the list of important things to consider. Um, so I do think if you're having persisting dizziness that it's not going away after a day or two or after you've tried some of the medication or maybe this maneuver you certainly should have a, a neurological examination carried out by a doctor, hopefully your own GP, um, to see that there's not something more sinister going on. And I suppose that brings me back to the the benefit of that slightly longer appointment where you can actually Absolutely. explore all of these Absolutely. options, particularly if, if uh, you've already tried a drug approach and yep. it's maybe not worked for you. So um, I had uh, um, a woman contact me about her teenage son whose skin has uh, is very bad, has gotten worse in lockdown, has had a number of um, the kind of topical treatments um, and doesn't feel, and I thought this was kind of sad in a way in that she didn't feel she could be annoying her NHS GP about this because it was a minor issue. Um, and I suppose uh, it, it struck me then that a private appointment probably would be quite useful in that case because you could talk through. Yeah, you know. although I have to say, I, I think an NHS GP would probably understand that a boy or a girl going through the teenage acne years, um, it can be quite daunting to go through the teenage years anyway, let alone people maybe making fun of you because you've got a spotty face. So I, I would 
hope that doctors would tend to be sympathetic towards that. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody's died of acne yet, however, so you know we've got to keep it in perspective. Yes. But but certainly there are lots and lots of acne treatments out there. Topical creams are very very good. Um, there are many out there. Some have antibiotics in them. Some are cleansers. Some are a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. um, there is. Uh, then the next stage would be to, to move on to oral antibiotic treatments on a low dose over a prolonged period of time. And that again has been tried for many years and is very successful for many people. Um, if you don't mind taking antibiotics all the time. Uh, and then the, the, the next treatment is really the, the, the Roaccutane treatment, which is something that's a, a, a consultant only or consultant led treatment. You, you can't start Roaccutane until you've actually seen a, a, a dermatologist. But Roaccutane um, was initially just a tablet, but has now been brought out as a gel. Um, and the topical gel, isotretinoin gel, does seem to work very well too. Now that is prescribable by a GP without seeing a specialist, but so that is a, another option yeah. that we have open to us. But certainly Roaccutane makes a massive difference to the, the really troublesome acne that some poor teenage folks go yeah. through or, or even adults. But with obviously and that's why it's prescribed by a consultant because it has some side effects. It has side effects and um, yeah. we have to keep an eye on liver function. Uh, there's a complicated reason for that but it, but Roaccutane can affect your liver function. It doesn't usually but we need to monitor that. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely has a very serious effect on um, an unborn embryo developing in utero. So we, we would always um, suggest that a, a, a girl in, in her teenage years goes on to the pill um, as a, a, a way of preventing pregnancy or some other um, permanent, or, or not permanent, but sort of more prolonged, like uh, perhaps the, the depo injection to, to prevent her getting pregnant while taking Rakuten. And that actually brings another point in because the pill um, and s several pills have been used very effectively for girls, mm -hmm. not boys obviously, but, but for girls in treating acne. Uh, yeah. So that's another option that I had forgotten to mention on yeah. the way through. And again, it, it feels to me like a longer appointment would be so yeah. much more beneficial because yeah. uh, you, you want to talk through the different options and, and give people different um, approaches to it. Um, in terms of, and we had uh, in our last series of the podcast, we had a menopause specific podcast and a, a number of women who've contacted me have said that they struggle sometimes to get that time with their GP to really talk through how they're feeling, particularly in perimenopause. So um, can you share with me the, the expertise within Kingsbridge in that sort of space? Yeah, well, we have... Um we have a, a GP with a specialist, it was Dr. Lisa Nelligan, um, yes. and she has been doing this very thing. She has been running um, menopause clinics uh, at Kingsbridge, along with uh, a couple of the gynaecologists, but one in particular, Dr. Francis Stewart, has been involved um, very much in guiding this service. Um, and these two ladies are experienced and knowledgeable and caring uh, and understanding, you know, so I, I do think, and, and obviously, have the time as well so yes. I think that that's something that I can say confidently that people will feel listened to and that they will 
hopefully go away with um, the sense of, of having got the best service possible for yes. for these perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms. And they're based in the Belfast, they're based the in Belfast, Belfast Clinic. Well, yeah. Dr. Stewart actually um, is also up in Ballykelly uh, okay. um, one day a week, so she okay. does operate from there as well. That's good to know. And you would have a, a, an interest yourself in men's health, and, and, I, and we have a further podcast that will cover prostate in particular, but um, is it fair to say men are less keen on going to the doctor? Yep, um, <laughs> they are. Um, it's getting better, but, but men uh, generally only come when they absolutely have to. Um, men are not good at seeking the doctor's advice about things. Mm -hmm. They just kind of hope that it'll go away. Yeah. Uh, and often they're prompted by their wives or mothers or girlfriends to come along because something is wrong. Uh, so yeah, men are not good at it, but they're getting better. They're getting, they're getting better. better. And so what kinds of things uh, in that men's health space do you... Um, well, I, I, ever since my first day as a new doctor in a urology ward where I was working for the first six months of my clinical life uh, as a, a urology junior doctor, I've had an interest in men's health, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, so we have developed um, a one-stop shop for prostate uh, assessment at Kingsbridge in Belfast, which I hope to reproduce up in, in Ballykelly shortly, mm -hmm. where a, a, a guy would come in with a problem, would have the history examination, the flow test, the bladder scan, the blood test, everything done all on site in the one day in an hour and a half or something like that Fantastic. and you you go away knowing if you have or you haven't got a problem if you need to see a specialist or you don't need to see a specialist mm -hmm. can we treat this with medication or do you not need any treatment and um, so that that's one thing but but I, I'm also keen to see men who have got other issues um, I mean the testicular problems are um, a, a thing that we really must get the message across, you know, if, if there's a change, um, particularly a painless enlargement of one of the testicles, mm -hmm. then that is something that really needs addressed quickly because that can be something sinister. Um, it may not be, but it can be. Please bring any lumps to somebody's attention, uh, a mm -hmm. lump in the testicle or the apparatus uh, attaching the, mm -hmm. the, to the testicle. That's very important as well. Um, yeah. Erectile problems, um, that's something that I have lots of experience of dealing with and helping men with um, and that's clearly a thing that we're encouraging men to speak about more because mm -hmm. it was something that was just frowned upon taboo. in the past and it was a taboo mm -hmm. subject so uh, but we're happy to discuss that uh, at, at length and, and, yeah. and in depth if necessary and, and I'd imagine it's easier for a man to go to a, a male doctor I, these, I hope so issues. and maybe a, a male that has a few great hairs as well <laughs> You know, it's been around the block for you yeah, guys. That, that might, Is this might. you were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and what about, obviously, heart health? Heart health, um, I, that's a biggie. In Northern Ireland, um, we, we, we lead the world in something, <laughs> unfortunately. Not is, a good thing. It's heart disease. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we're getting a wee bit better at it. And certainly coronary interventions have, have dramatically changed things from my early years as a, a junior doctor to now, you know, we, we, the idea of stenting and bypassing so many people now is, is something that just was unheard of when I first yeah. qualified. So bypasses were, were happening, but not stenting and not, the, I mean, the first angiogram I saw was in Israel as a, a third year medical student. 
uh, a coronary angiogram. So, you know, we've come a long way in mm -hmm. 30 years. Um, so heart health is a big and thing. Would that present in pain, I guess? Would, would it be people feeling? Yeah, most, most people who have heart trouble, um, it's, a, it's a pressure or a, a, a pain or, or some sort of um, tightness around the chest that they're okay. getting. Um, and that, that's, that's what is presenting as a, as a heart problem. Usually on exertion, uh, so in other words, if you go upstairs or you run for a bus and you feel this tightness or this pressure or a heaviness, that could be an indication that you maybe have angina. If it's something that's a sudden onset that you know literally you're stopped in your tracks and you feel like there's an elephant sitting in your chest, that's a 999 okay. um, because that, that's probably a heart attack. But the lead up to it, you know, maybe where you're feeling that pressure is where you need to... The niggly, achy pain in the mm -hmm. chest down the left arm, up into the jaw sometimes, okay. uh, that, that's a, a bit of a warning sign. And if you're getting those niggly problems, please men come and get seen. Yeah. So Roger, is there anything that you offer in the surgery in Ballykelly that maybe wouldn't be available in a, in a regular GP surgery? Well, I'd alluded to the, the one-stop prostate shop, which I hope to start soon. But uh, another thing that I do, uh, which is not commonly available lots of gps can do this but not many really are able and have the time to do this in mm -hmm. practice and that's pain injections joint injections for okay. sore knees sore um, whatever joint it is um, um, we actually end up carrying a lot of patients for a long time as gps as they wait not weeks or months but years now for for um, joint replacement surgery so Things like um, knees that are very painful and very stiff, I, I can do a, a knee injection to, to give somebody pain relief for maybe six months. Okay. Uh, and that, that's something I think is very, very helpful. Just to, to keep people going for a little bit longer to help them get through yeah. and, and maybe to avoid the necessity of some heavy duty pain killing drugs because by the time um, most people come to see me for this kind of a thing, they're already finding that their strong painkillers aren't really helping aren't anyway. So, and is that just a regular appointment then, like a yep. regular half hour appointment? Regular half hour make? appointment. Um, okay. And uh, I, I will talk the patient through the, all that is required. Um, I actually am involved with Kingsbridge Training Academy here, teaching other GPs to do joint injections along with a colleague, Ryan Hamilton, who's a, another GP with an interest. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually trying to promote this uh, as well because I do think it's a very, very useful tool for GPs to have in their, in their um, bag of tricks, if you like, so yes. we can offer joint injections or, or trigger point injections um, for various different pains that, that, that actually do respond very well, sometimes to just a local anaesthetic but sometimes it's, it's also with a, a steroid. steroid in it. And does that mean you wouldn't have to take your pain medication then potentially? It certainly would reduce the need for the strong pain medication and maybe allow people to take something like paracetamol instead of an opioid medication like the strong cocodamol or, or tramadol or some of these things. And obviously get them moving again, which is The, the whole thing, yeah. And one of the things that uh, we've been working with in, in the Northwest Clinic um, in Ballykelly is that uh, if somebody's coming in, for example, with a frozen shoulder to see the physio, they need to get the physio to work with this frozen shoulder, but because it's too painful to move, they come to see me, I give them a local anaesthetic injection, five minutes later they go to see the physio, they have the 
the, the treatment and right. and so it is it's something that we're we're working in partnership with um, again because we're on site all together yeah and um, then obviously mental health which mental is something health. we've not you know, maybe men haven't been so good at absolutely up and, about. and it is it's it's a sad thing to to say that you know suicide rates are ridiculously high at the minute uh, and it's mostly men that yeah. are doing this so we really want to to intervene and prevent these unnecessary and very sad deaths. And what can a GP do for that? You know, I, I'm imagining that men might think, well, there's no point in going to the GP to just talk. Well, th this is actually a very interesting point because people who are suicidal are often depressed in the the lead up to this, and when people are depressed, they kind of think, well, what's the point? You know, they're not going to listen mm -hmm. to me anyway or whatever because they're in a very negative frame of mind. Uh, what I would say is that as a profession, the medical profession and the nursing profession has wakened up to just how important it is to, to deal with depression in the early stages, to deal with it at any stage actually, and to try and, and help people to navigate depression because it is, it's a horrible thing to feel and, and it can lead to other illness and, and sometimes to say suicide or, or yeah. um, death. Um, so, so we want it. We want to help. Yes, absolutely. and I'm thinking again. I keep going back to these longer appointments, but I'm guessing that you could Absol have somebody present with with one thing that you then subsequently through that longer discussion and chat may pick up on on another issue. That's well, you know, it's a thing we're taught about in GP training. You know, to uh, there's a a guy talked about the inner consultation. You know, and it's really important to, that GPs are aware of body language and and mm. Uh, subtle cues and clues that patients might give us. Um, now, honestly, it is really hard to, to be aware of all of that whenever you've only got 10 minutes and you're already running 20 minutes behind, perhaps. And, you know, to, to pick up on these subtle clues is, is really difficult. But what I would say is I hope my colleagues would be open-minded enough and open enough to the patient to, to try and pick up on some little things along the way, uh, because certainly People come with depression to a GP and they're actually presenting with a sore big toe or something because they don't want to present with depression. Yeah. And and what is really difficult, and, and please believe me out there, um, is if you've got two or three things that you've dealt with and then, uh, and, and you know, you've already given the patient 10 minutes and they said, you know, I really need to tell you doctor that, you know, I really have been feeling very depressed for the last six months. Mm -hmm. That is, that is not what a doctor yes. wants to hear at the end of a, an already perhaps yeah. lengthy consultation. So bring it at the beginning, bring okay. it at the beginning of a, a consultation and or be prepared to, to have a, another chat about it another time, another you maybe time. reschedule and come back another time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I can imagine it's difficult and, uh, and, and the benefit of having that bit of extra time with you. Honestly, it's everything that we've talked about today uh, is so much easier for me and therefore I think also so much easier for the patients if they have the time. Yeah. Um, so that's where I think I get most job satisfaction out of this is because I get the time to try and tease these things out with people mm -hmm. and hopefully the patients then benefit from that. Yeah. And you realise it's not really the big toe, that's the problem. Absolutely. And I guess um, I, I like to finish asking uh, for you know kind of uh, hints or tips on how to, to be more healthy so have you any kind of personal... Uh, I, I like to keep things simple. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a straightforward person. I like to keep things simple. And 
If you're a smoker, the biggest health benefit that you could do is stop smoking. Okay. So that that's in a nutshell. There's what about nothing, vaping? Vaping is not great. Okay. okay. But it's better than smoking because you're not getting so many contaminants into your lung. Okay. And I would be happier with somebody vaping as smoking. Okay. But that's a simple, easy to take home message. If you're a smoker, there's nothing you can do more beneficial than stopping smoking. Um, the other simple things are, as a population, we are, over, and, and this is not for everybody because I know there are people out there that maybe are healthy weight and, and, and maybe some people even who have eating disorders and I don't want them to hear the wrong message here, but as a population, we are overweight. Uh, the last survey which was done last year, looking at the likes of GP records and, and what weight people are on their GP records, um, is that 64% of the UK population is overweight. And that's defined as a BMI of over 25. Um, and the really disturbing thing is that 28% are over a BMI of 30, so that's obese. So we're, we're in a really bad situation in terms of weight uh, in, in the UK. Uh, a third of our children between 5 and 19 are overweight already, so this is making problems for the future. Why is this? Well, it's because we drink too many sugary drinks and we don't eat enough fruit and vegetables, and that's proven. We have the stats to back this up. We are the worst in Europe. We're not the worst in the world, but we're the worst in Europe in terms of obesity. So try and cut out the sugary drinks, try and eat more fruit and vegetables, try and eat less generally, because a woman needs 2,000 calories a day on average, a man needs two, needs two and a half thousand, and we all eat more than that, or most of us do. So that's another simple thing. The final take-home message again, again, and I guess would be do a bit more exercise. Um, we know that 20 minutes of walking, brisk walking three times a week is enough to make a difference. So why not do a little bit more than that? You know, um, people talk about getting their 10,000 steps a day. Keep active by all means, count your steps on your phone or whatever, but um, get a little bit more active, eat a little bit less, and if you're a smoker, stop smoking. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Roger. That's been fantastic. Appreciate you speaking to us today. That was tough. Pleasure.